I mean, just imagine if you woke up knowing you wouldn't age, you couldn't die, and that's just your life now. It's never ending. Yeah, I've actually, I've thought about like a mortal life quite a a bit because I have access to that. It's just really whether I want to pull the trigger. And I've decided that pulling the trigger would be like the worst. While you obviously get to watch like the world and how it progresses, and that's like really the the one silver lining. Like imagine having to rebuild relationships every generation, and then they just all collapse and die, and you've like you've watched your your family die over and over and over and over and over again. This is absolute gold, and I have notes on this. Please clap me off so I can definitely get this going. Welcome back to Ebology, everybody. I am your everlasting Professor Ricky. And I am your immortal Professor Dio. I mean, it's me. Oh, it's me, Ethan. No, Mio, Ethan. <laughs> to Mio, Ethan? Yeah. Here, we were talking right before the collapse, the concept yeah. of immortality. If you were to wake up tomorrow and know with 100% certainty that you are, you don't age, you never die, injuries don't matter anymore, you just literally exists in time memoriam how how would you handle that how would that be a thing for you yeah i mean i think like like i was saying the the real issue is like rebuilding relationships i think you have to go kind of like down the vampire route where unless you're able to like turn people and make them also immortal yeah it would be horrific to be the one immortal person on earth that's the scary part to me is that you are alone are you immortal and powered or are you just immortal and then because then you're definitely going to some lab i'm saying like like, just immortal like yeah some lab is taking you and you're not seeing the outside of the ever right right so i mean like i feel as though like living forever just as a power just in and of itself is actually a hell because you like kind of what you said right you literally any relationship that you build you get to watch that person grow and die and then maybe there are some people out there with the temperament for immortality that's something i've actually thought of recently maybe people there are some people that exist that have a temperament that could persist thousands of years and not go either batshit insane or just completely depressed. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm not. I don't know if I'm one of those people. That's the thing. I'm going to guarantee you're not one of those people. Absolutely not one of those people. No, <laughs> but no. Um, I think you would have to be probably like psych, not psychopathic, sociopathic, maybe definitely sociopathic and then super narcissistic. I would think. I think I think those things would probably come as a defense mechanism after a while, like because. What we don't know the effects of a mind after, say, five lifetimes, ten lifetimes. What does that do to a psyche? Would sociopathy, would narcissism kind of be a like quote unquote natural evolution of a mind because living that long would need a defense like that? Because sociopathy is probably a defense in like, like the inability to connect with people because maybe that person would not uh, see the point. Right. After a while, it's like, what, what's the point of making a relationship and actually understanding somebody else? Right. Right. But without any legitimate power to back it up, it's very like teethless for an ability, I would say. Yes. 100%. Like your only option would be like 
amassing as much fortune as you can and then like investing in the newest possible thing you know what i mean and having and you'd have like the knowledge and the history of knowing the trends right you'd probably after like 500 years knowing exactly like this shit's gonna blow up this shit's gonna blow up i've been around for literally (laughs) a chunk of human history literally forever and i'm going to uh i'm gonna invest in that shit because i know that's gonna work i know it's gonna work but i really feel like that's probably the only thing you could do that would like give you any type of joy and i think that would probably wear off pretty quickly i'd probably be a trillion dollar man after some after some point well certainly but i think i don't know i just wonder like eventually money is going to be worthless and then like (laughs) yeah at some point does everything this fiat cash and everything just kind of like fade away for you like it doesn't even fucking matter anymore i mean our salaries now are like would would make us like top percentage rich people like not even that long ago (laughs) exactly and so it really makes you think and then i think like whether you think the world is going to end from like whatever environmental disaster whatever is true or not i think it would be like very unfortunate to have to live through that assuming you'd have to see it all well like earth will eventually Yes, but you'd have to die. Right, you'd have depends on like when that would be. Exactly, you just you get to see it happen firsthand. But if time is taken off the the like timeline, and you're just like you will see it. It's inevitability. It's a hundred percent. Yeah, (laughs) that sucks, dude. And then also like Earth blows up, even the 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 sun blows up, and you're still immortal. What happens? And you literally get to experience the heat death of the universe. Trillions of years. Yeah, you're still alive, and nothing else is. It's like the uh, that stupid egg, or whatever that dumb show was not too long ago. Yes, I actually remember that. And you know, some people, both in fiction and nonfiction, seek to find it. And speaking of immortality, we're talking about a show today that I honestly believe did not get the love from the community I think it deserved, despite getting some chatter when it did come out. I felt like it fell off the map for maybe other things, but man, this, I don't know about you, but this show for me was like one of, if not the hit for me of last season. And I, I think that's because of the way that they, they obviously use very common tropes that we see in some other stuff, but they succeed where others have failed by just being nuanced and actually understanding what those tropes are trying to do. So at the end of the day, I think it's a it's a very a beautiful show in writing, and it's got the absolute animation chops to boot. So Ethan, you know we're doing it. What are we talking about today? I don't know. What are we talking about today? Ooh, that's Uno a kickback. Oh, today <laughs> we are talking about the uh, summer 2023 MAPPA show, Hell's Paradise. Yes, sir, Bob. So first off the rip, like I said, this show, it, from top to bottom, I think it's one of the most... Uh, ingenious shows in terms of world building and setting and maybe i honestly think that the 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 overall like main through line narrative is a bit like maybe standard i wouldn't say sterile but it's definitely not changing the game but in terms of world building and setting it is very unique and i think they do a lot of things right i don't know how you felt after seeing the first season yeah so um you presumably didn't listen to my episode where i had like watched the first three episodes of that whole season and mentioned and it and whatever yes the point being 
I mentioned I liken this show a lot to uh, the movie Annihilation or the book series, the Southern Reach trilogy. Interesting. Which is the same thing. It's just they only did the one I, movie. I can see where the kind of connection comes into right. play here. So yeah. in, in that series, essentially, there's this place called the Southern Breach that just like shows up in, in the U.S., right? Yes, yes. And it's basically like this big dome bubble that you you nobody can see through like no um nothing penetrates essentially and you don't know what the hell's going on but we as like a like a country have been sending like essentially there's CIA FBI and then there's like whatever the best minds the best minds we got well there's like whatever this this um this like NASA version right. of exploration for this place is called sure 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 um anyway so they've been sending in all these um different groups to like go research it and try to come back, but nobody ever comes back. Right. But I love that. Or if they do, they're like irre- irrevocably changed. Yes. To the point where it's almost, they're, they're not even recognizable. The, well, they're like, they ha- they still have the same face and everything. Just, they just do not act at all like they did when they went in. Right. Right. So it's very similar to this show actually in that like it's this like sort of myth, mystical place Yes. That people are trying to go to, but it doesn't seem like everybody returns or anybody returns and they don't return for sure the same way that they left. But what what's really interesting is like inside the bubble, it seems like sort of like this weird genetic uh, kind of mutation place in, yeah. in, in uh, the Southern Reach. And it's very similar here, except instead of genetic kind of mutation and weirdness, it's infused with like, I think, spiritual like yeah almost like faith-based systems like buddhism taoism uh, is involved taoism, like all those like kind of like, got some shinto in the mix right, there so, yeah so very very like eastern right yeah yeah uh, very so, eastern it's just eastern religion so yeah, eastern I mean, religion kind of based weird bubble that you can't escape from so here's here's kind of the setting that you get that we've alluded to here is like you have what I would call, and we're getting like a resurgence in this kind of idea where you have like an alt history background where it's it's kind of semi grounded in a period of history that we in our Earth 616 understand that like it's the Edo period in Japan and the, a lot of the myth from that era is kind of alive and well. Like Shinobi is alive and well. You have the potential for certain gods of certain religions kind of uh, uh, mythed about, and they are potentially existing. And we see evidence of that potential existence in this world. You have uh, our, like our, basically the Shogunate is in power right now, and they are uh, kind of cherry picking certain individuals that are like death row convicts, criminals, and the like to, Go and take this venture to find something that is known as the elixir of life, literally something that humans have mythed about for millennia at this point. And it's been known to be found or at least uh, potentially located in a place called Shinsiko, which is a legendary realm that was recently discovered in like the southwest region of this kingdom. So uh, to Ethan's point, every time they've sent a brigade or a squad out there, no one has ever come back and if they do they're literally half people half flower which is 
fucking horrifying to see like the way they visually portray it it's just these people coming back on boats smiling and their eyes and every orifice and every part of them is sprouting to the uh, to the brim with these beautiful flowers so it's this kind of weird mix of like this place is supposed to be paradise incarnate yet these individuals come back disfigured beyond belief smiling all the same which is very harrowing in its own right yeah it was is actually pretty reminiscent for like a kick that you got from like um promise neverland mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what i mean like it's supposed to be a paradise for these kids and then you find out like the horror and of course a flower is involved so you know yes. that's kind of like my little bow there there's your little bow yeah, you got yeah, you got it coming and, full circle you know what i mean obviously so we're following our main character here Named Gabimaru the Hollow, a man known for his absolute emotionlessness in the face of death and destruction. He is a harbinger of death in his own right, coming from a famous Shinomi village where the leader is actually known and like tailed about to be tailed about sure whatever to be immortal in his own right like maybe he is like a living embodiment of the proof that this elixir of life actually exists which is very well, i find is a setup for something like this very intriguing because you have like the shogun understands that they're seeking this app they're literally trying to go uh capture and bottle a myth and there's people in this world that we know about and we see on screen from early on to have maybe consumed it themselves so there's like some kind of uh raw evidence that this thing could potentially exist gabimaru is actually slated for death and his executioner comes around and her name being sagiri and she's part of this uh asaman clan that is both sword testers for execution and carries out said executions. So they're a clan that exists solely to kill criminals for the shogunate. So interesting in, in that initial setup. But the catalyst being she comes around and says, Gabby Morrow, you don't got to die. Man, you got another way out, buddy. You could go for the shogunate to get this elixir of life with me as your kind of, I wouldn't call it bodyguard, almost like. Your master babysitter for sure. And it's like, if you can bring this back, if you're the criminal that brings this back to the shogunate, you will be pardoned of all crimes. So that's kind of the catalyst of the entire show. So what do you, I want to ask you right up top, because a lot of this focuses on like our core duo of Sigiri and Gabimaru. What are your thoughts on Gabimaru as the main character? Um, so. It's it's like another scenario where I am wondering whether these things, these like supernatural things are actually happening or if it's like a, a demon slayer scenario. Because there's like a, there's a <laughs> ninjutsu he uses where he literally just turns his whole body into flames. And uh, I just don't see how that makes any sense. So I'm really kind of interested as to whether that is like, you know, um hyperbole let's just say i think in some other shows of this nature they take the demon slayer route where it's more visually uh shown to the audience the techniques give are given a lot of more visual flair than like what's actually happening in the real world i think in this show 
what we see on screen is actually happening. We're in a world that has one of its major highlights, and I can definitely go into it in a little bit, that they merge the mythical with the historic in a very tight way. We've seen shows, I'm talking Record of Ragnarok is a great counterexample, where they use the, the myth that human beings know very well as the kind of flavor, as the coding over the action or the narrative or whatever the fuck you wanted to call it. But Record of Ragnarok just does it as like a paint job, like basically painting a pig because Record of Ragnarok is the actual dog shit. But this show does it in a very interesting way where it it uses myth in a couple fantastic ways. But the one that's right up top is these myths are alive and real. Shinobi, as we understand the myth of them, is actually it's they're they're real in all respects ninjutsu included so i think his ability to pull out the azure flame or whatever he calls that acetic uh, flame acetic flame like yeah it's just i think it's um, real i think it's actually real yeah it, it might be like sort of a visual thing too where it's not actual flame i don't know what the fuck's going on the point being um he's like sort of immortal already so it's like a little bit of a weird start to the show this they man basically can't show die. him <laughs> like he's been attempted to be executed like a bajillion times, but his like neck muscles keep snapping swords. Um, yep. And it's basically um, shown to be like a involuntary sort of reflex that he has as a shinobi. Right. To basically, right. Basically tense as much as he can before like taking a wound. Yeah. And so he just keeps snapping all these swords. And so our uh, main bitch, Sagiri, keeps saying, like, look, do you really, like, not want to die? Because he his, like, affect originally is entirely apathetic. Yes. Very, like, almost depressed and, like, w- ready to, to eat the bullet. Yeah, almost not even apathetic. He's, like, actively, at least verbally saying, I'm, I'm, I want to die. Like, I'm cool with with dying right like, but his body is not allowing him to do that so the and question so she thinks like yeah. okay there's some deeper shit going on here right are you sure you actually want to die or is this just like some uh i guess like ill-fated attempt at like redemption you know what i mean so that redemption being another huge part of his character it turns out that he technically wants to die but deep down he doesn't. And the reason being is we find out that he has a lady waiting for him back in home, the home village named Yui. She is his wife. And turns out this guy at his core, at least the, for the rest of the show and the way they portray him, he's kind of a big softy. He's a ladies man. By lady, I mean, his, he's, a, he's a ladies man for his own gal. So he doesn't actually want to die. He loves somebody. He loves his wife. So he wants to survive and get back to her so he has this mission of finding the elixir of life from the shogunate but his actual personal journey is kind of not just making it back to the woman that he loves but also he's been given this name the hollow because of his emotionlessness in the face of his duties and death and destruction but He's wrestle. He's as a character has this internal turmoil where he's kind of wrestling with: Am I actually this hollow uh, like mechanism for death, or 
do I have the capacity for love and emotion and all that? So I, again, it's it's a definitely a guy that is a living myth. He is the best of this Shinobi village, but at the same time, he's uh he's portrayed as someone who actually cares and actually does have emotion, and he wrestles with that through the entire season. I love Gabi Morrow as a main character because like it, for the for the overall themes we get into later in the show, he's a great main character for the rest of the narrative that we have. And I loved the way that they played him because he's like, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like a great foil to Sagiri, who is like play by the book, play, play by the rules. But he's like, man, I don't care. Like, I'm too powerful for this shit. Just let me go do my thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely like him and I largely like Sagiri. Obviously, as the show goes on, they both grow on me immensely. Um, like from the start, I don't think they were either of them were all that interesting of characters. Like, I'm not really one for like the super straight laced character. Typically, uh, yeah. I just don't find them like enjoyable. Like I, I, with the stick up your ass kind of character is not like fun. They need a foil like them by themselves are not fun. But you find in most cases, it's like the straight laced character needs like that play it play it loose fuck the book kind of character to like bounce off with them because i think it makes both kind of characters better what you have here is more of a tempered play it loose fuck the book kind of guy where he's like i've lived my entire life as an assassin and i'll get the job done by any means and she's like i need to play by the book but at the same time like I'm cool with you sometimes like there's more of a it's not like so staunch like black and white and i love that they kind of muddle the gray and i think that's what you said is correct like as the show goes on both characters grow so well well they both loosen up like immensely in their own ways right i think it's great that they both loosen up to each other too like he's more amenable to the way she does things and she actually trusts him enough and stops seeing him as a criminal which is a huge theme in this show because like as people start going to that legendary island to find the elixir of life. It's not just Gabi Morrow and Sigiri. It's other couplings of the Asaman like executioners babysitting other very strong criminals to go find the Shogun. It's not dumb. The Shogun is going to send a bunch of these people in waves to go try to like get this elixir of life. And th- they put that competition element on it, right? The o- the one person who can bring it back first will have all of their bullshit pardoned. All of it. So everyone in their own right has kind of a, you know, a reason to actually go do this task, this impossible task. So I love the setting for this. Before we even get to the island itself, you have several criminals and their executioner babysitters all converging on this island for the for a common goal of finding this elixir. You basically have like a uh, battle royale on your hands, which just in and of itself, like face value, like that's a great shonen setup. Like that's fucking great. <laughs> I loved, I loved it because I was like tense, like okay, who, who are the new players? How are they going to interact with each other? What are their mentalities? Right, super fun. Super well, they fun actually started with the battle royale, if you recall. I do remember that. Yeah, they the first like episode two, I think, like literally, like okay, all of you, like. All of you do have this chance, but like last man standing gets to actually go, which is wild. <laughs> it's wild to set that up that way. Right. I mean, they had brought like 50 death row convicts. Some of them are 
on death row for like crazy feats of strength and things like that that they've done. And they're essentially like, look, we, we just don't want to bring all of you. <laughs> we, we don't have the boats, guys. You know, winnow some numbers down here and just let her rip. So, yep. <laughs> I mean, you, you basically get to start this show with seeing some like really cool stuff from other people. Yeah. Um, and the entire time, Gabi Maro is literally just like sitting there because he's like, I think just like so obviously a badass that nobody wants to fuck with him. No one even tried really since the initial part of that rail. Right. It's great. It's so fun. So, I, I mean... Well, once... I do have, like, a bit of an issue with the concept. Okay. So, like, let's say he he does realize that he wants to live. He can't be held. He can't be held. So, like, why doesn't he just leave? I don't get it, to be honest with you. I The, the vibe that I got was that once this task was given to him, in episode one, I feel as though maybe like he was compelled by the Shinobi village to not come back, maybe his leader to not come back. But even when I say that, we never got on screen, uh, you know, precedence that this leader wanted him to go find that elixir. Like he wasn't being held by his village's command, right? Well, he was. Wait, he was. Like, I thought the leader said that he wanted him to go find this. Like, he had one last job. No, the one last job he said to go do was what got him caught in the first place. Yes. So, yeah, like, did, maybe he felt like he compelled that he couldn't come back well, to the village because he couldn't complete this, or? No, so he was betrayed, and he let that get to him, like, on a, like, essentially a spiritual That's level, it. right? That's it, yeah. Got into his depression shit, and I think... If I'm not mistaken, the dad says some really fucked up shit about what he's going to do to the daughter. That's right. And That's so right. he basically is just like, all right, I'm fucked. I didn't but, watch this seasonally. So the, some of the details are a bit fuzzy, but you're right. I, I remember that. But like the, I, the point I'm trying to make is he decides, okay, I want to go try to find my wife and try to like take her away and just live our own lives. To me, the second he decides that, he should just leave and go do that, that because was, yeah. <laughs> he really does not need, like, he lives outside of the law regardless. There's no reason for him to get some sort of, like, pardon. He can fuck anyone up that comes to stop him. It just doesn't make any sense to me why he would even, like, okay, like, I unless, unless his entire idea is to eventually take it for himself... Which I, I could we never, never get the impression of that. Though. I know, but I was always like a little bit on, on the kind of fence to think maybe he does want to steal it at the end. You think maybe it. he wants a little bit of that elixir? Because Just there's, a there's another character that mentions wanting to take it and he like kind of looks at him weird and I'm like, he wants it, I think. You think he wants it for himself? Interesting. I do. Interesting. Because think about it. How else is he supposed to beat the leader of the village? Who's, yeah. Who's supposedly yeah. immortal. That's that's a fair shake. Maybe maybe he has ulterior motives. I never considered that. But that's the thing with Gabi Mara. You're not really sure what his game plan is. Like you you do understand that him as a man like is he is driven by affection for his quote unquote life, and those quotes will matter here in a bit. But like I I think that I, I don't know. I, I think that. He he has enough of a reason. Like he definitely wants to live in peace. It's very much like the corpse god we talked about last week, right? That he is he is inching closer to like wanting to live a life outside of the shinobi world, outside of this criminality. He wants to live in peace, and the only real way to do that is to 
definitely be pardoned by the powers that be. So I can at least see that as a potential element. I just feel like we... We needed him, them, him to say that in his own words. True, true. He never does say that. He's so absurdly powerful. I just cannot believe that anybody could stop him if he wanted to not do anything. That's a fair. That's a fair point. He's only captured because the entire Shinobi village goes to to subdue him. Right? Yeah. Like all of his own people go right. to like so put he him gets down. like yeah. betrayed, and then also the Asaimon are there, and like, okay, we get it. He can't beat them, but like, it just seems. I don't know, like a bit of a gap in the story. Now, like from a like an art perspective, it's incredibly gorgeous. I love the colors that they use. Oh my god, these um, backdrops are some of the best we we saw last season. Especially like, when we go to the to the island, it's it's like what I would think of a like a I'm gonna say a popular, more high res or not not high res, like high um, fidelity. Maybe not fidelity, even like different hue. I don't sure. know what you call that. A warmer hue. A different palette. Yeah. I don't know. Like a, a poppier palette version of Doro Hetero. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, is, like the way, a not Halloween Town version. Yes. Sort of like a, yes. <laughs> it, it does. I think in that comparison right there, like it captures the fantastical very well. And this brings up the other point of the way that this show uses myth. Once we finally get to the island and learn more about the truth here. And the and this show is one of its main motifs is questioning the systems that be. And we have another we have a couple avenues here. We have the island in and of itself. We we learn that from an aesthetic standpoint and the world showing not telling that this island is this hodgepodge of these common religions and this religious iconography that we as humans have come to know. We see statues that are prominent in buddhism in taoism in shinto religions in i know like islam like we see like this this huge swath of eastern religions and their iconography all kind of jumbled up and the way you you gave that annihilation analogy uh analogy <laughs> in the Honestly, beginning still works analogy yeah in the beginning of the episode was completely right on this exact point where it's this it's not just a hodgepodge of these religions and these and their symbolism. It's they're almost like they're infused within each other. And it makes you wonder, like from at least the mythos of this show, is this a common origin point for a lot of the religions and the religious origins of the systems of belief that we see in humanity in this alternate history? This island makes people question a lot of the systems that exist outside of that island and the rest of the world. Aside from that, you know, yeah. Well, you it's kind of interesting. So th they kind of come to the conclusion that this was like essentially intelligent design. Like right. somebody created this thing. Yes. These um, are all man-made things. To incorporate all these things. Uh -huh. And that's actually funny because that's really sort of the main point of annihilation. It's yes. like there, there is some intelligent life form creating these these weird aberrations i i don't know i just really like the the um kind of analog between the two because it really is like if you if you just took annihilation and instead of like the genetics portion you yeah. threw in like sort of the kind of religious iconography or you know symbolism 
It really, it would be the identical show almost. It would be, yeah. Um, so kind of just really kind of interesting. If you liked that show, that movie, I think you would like this show in that it does sort of some of the same stuff fun, more fun, because like our main characters have like, you know, ninja arts and swords and fucking um, this power system they kind of work through called Tao, which is essentially just chakra or key or anything. It's key, yeah. And, um, and the- so... It just, I don't know, it's just kind of like a, I think a souped up fun version of that, if that makes sense. It totally feels that way. And that's the thing, when shows use myth as a backdrop, it's commonly done so to give kind of a nice paint job to what would arguably be an already kind of stale, like, power Mm -hmm. system, a stale, like, narrative and stale world building, but they just paint it over with these mythos and these religions that we know about. But this show does a really good job at making good use of these myths. They brought these the myth of the Shinobi alive, like all of the myth of their use of fire and espionage and sneaky bullshit and like made that character, Gabi Maru, kind of the embodiment of that myth as we know it. But it also uses those myths to create a narrative that adds a sense of mystery. Maybe that which we understood those things to be aren't all that we thought that they were. And in the same vein of questioning those things, you have a more real grounded sense of questioning systems of belief and questioning systems in general with the Shogunate. You have these Asaman like executioners that come to the island and have been like living under this idea of black and white criminality. Like these motherfuckers are criminals. We're sent to destroy them. Uh, fuck their necks. Like we, we want to destroy and kill them or at least get the best use we can out of them to get this elixir. But as we see a lot of these executioners kind of empathize a little more and understand these criminals as human beings and their scenarios and like their, their backstories. So yeah, the, I mean, some of them play by the book and some of them are just like, I don't give a fuck. What I don't give you a do. fuck. Right. So it makes the uh, some of the people that do play by the book question the systems and the judgment of the shogunate, which for an entire clan whose entire existence is to be almost like a claw of the shogunate. They it's great that they're like having these narratives of like maybe what we're doing here isn't exactly what we should be doing. Maybe we need to be operating differently and treating these criminals differently, which is something the Shogunate will not fucking have, as we saw on this show. Well, <laughs> absolutely not. I think the main reason that that happens is because just how bonkers the island is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they would make that switch, like, as far as, like, their personal, um, I don't know, feelings toward the, the bad guys if they weren't under, like, such absurd peril. And right, realizing, right. like, okay, I really can't do this alone. Well, it's because they're being, like, kind of bombarded with the sublime, right? Like, on this island, you don't just get this weird uh, melding of religious icons and shit like that. You do get supernatural shit. You have these beings on the island called the Tengen. The Tengen are individuals that have feasted upon not necessarily the elixir of life, but we find out, oh, we, uh, we can get into spoiler town, you think, at this point, right? Like, we're oh, 30. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool, cool. Uh, Choo Choo, go watch this show before we go. We pull into Spoiler City, USA. But what they see on this island is essentially these Tengen individuals that have 
risen above mortality. They're gods. They're considered gods in their own right, even by the individuals that used to live on this island. But we find out that they're gods because they feasted upon this life force, this life energy of the people that live there and the people that try to come there. And we find out that's exactly why no one has come back, because these beings not just trap or kill. I don't even say it's killing them. They plant them, so to speak. They <laughs> literally put them into the ground and like let the flowers feast upon them. But we learn that these individuals get to experience their own very personal paradise of bliss, like in their own little world, their dreams come true for eternity while they feast upon the life essence of these individuals to keep them young, to keep them godlike, to keep them regenerating. And I loved that kind of I, I always love that kind of trope where it's like, look, you if you brought into the fold for our gain. We'll give you eternal life and eternal, uh, quote unquote, paradise, right? Which is very interesting, and that, and and that we saw certain scenes of people that were getting like murked left and right, and just <laughs> absolutely wiped. But mentally, they go to a space where all of their dreams and all of their desires come true, right? Yeah, is I, that really is that really a bad end for these people, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It is a bad end for them. Obviously, they die and they're feasted upon. But like, well, like I couldn't tell if the flowers were making that happen or if that was like just the typical like life before your eyes kind of thing. If I think they just extend that into eternity, like they literally just give you. So they sukiyomi into yes. eternal sukiyomi them. Yes, they literally put them in an eternal dreamlike state while they feast upon their tan which is this life essence is what that's called. Yeah. Ton. So the ton I thought was like for an analogy, pretty close, like uh ambrosia in like Greek mythology. Right. It's, it's literally the drink of like life, pure life essence. Of like, the gods or of the like, gods, um, yeah. Uh, the Holy Grail or whatever it's called. Essentially. Uh, yeah. The Fountain of Youth, I mean. I think it's what this is, yeah. From uh, <laughs> from Pirates of the Caribbean 5. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, really? You're not going to go like uh, Fate's Day? Nah, Who, fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. You're going Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Dude, Pirates, of, Pirates of the Caribbean as a series is just incredible. The, it's literally some of the best, if not the best, real world pirate lore that's not animated. They really need to like do a anime, bro. And anime Jack Sparrow would clap so goddamn. Tell hard. me it wouldn't. <laughs> like, it would go so in, hard in Castlevania style. Oh my god! With all of like the sea mythos and the sea, incredible. Like, that would like imagine Calypso and Davy Jones. That's one of the greatest love stories ever told. So good, incredible. So good. But here's the hoping, guys. Here's the hoping. But you you have these gods on this island that like they kind of hold the true nature of what this island actually is. It's kind of at their beck and call where the rest of like the beings on this island are either made by them for them or serve to like it, they exist to serve them. And it's that- I would say like as far as the initial concept, I liked it. I was concerned with the way that it was done as far as like each of these seven individuals are evidently an aspect of the one progenitor. 
Yeah, it's very hum- it's very uh, full metal kind of like Alco, like the uh, yeah. homunculus kind of like they're all like not necessarily. Yeah, like you said, like an attribute. They're not quite emotions, but they're like piety is one and like benevolence is another. Like right. it could even so, be considered like a seven deadly sins kind of energy. But like, well, you know. I, th- I think it's an aspect of some faith system that I don't know anything about. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually because they point. were using. I didn't like, think about that. They were using, I think, Taoist words. Yes. Like, like those are, I think, Um, I, I want to. This is just. <laughs> this is tough because I don't know about it, but I That's think it's fair. mantras. I think they might be mantras, right? Like pieces of mantras. Anyway, I don't know something. <laughs> some some tenets of religions that we just do not know enough about at this exact moment to speak upon. Right, but. But that that's kind of the that's kind of the rub here is that Seeking like samsara, right? Yeah. So it's it's using uh, once again it's using the iconography and the language of a, of religions that do exist in the real world to a great effect. I think it's a really cool idea to have them all be like spawned from the progenitor that we don't actually get to. Do we see him on screen? We do not. We do not see him on screen. They all talk very highly of him. Um. So one of the seven is like. I run this bitch, but they also do mention the one above them. Yes, they do. So they it's do. a little kooky from that perspective. A little kooky, but we we through them we do get introduced to I would I would say this uh, this world's version of the power system of Tau, and this power system is uh basically accessible to anyone, any human can actually access this. With a price, and y'all know if you're longtime students know that my I, my hard on for risk reward power systems that Tau is basically life energy. It's like key that you can only access if you have a mind purely in balance of like light, dark, strong, weak, as they put in the yin show. Yang. Yeah, yang and yang. So for a character like Gabi Maru, a character like Sigiri, who is kind of wrestling with their own identity. They're wrestling with their own path and all of that energy and that kind of stuff. It makes for really good characters to access or at least be broached with the power system of that nature because finding balance within themselves without that power system was already kind of the internal goal for both of these characters. Now we have a power system that once these people find that balance can actually fight and be on par with the newly approached enemy that is the Tengen. So I, I love shows that do this where they have an introduction of either a power system or a avenue for success that coincides already with the internal journey that the characters were already on. So like finding that internal balance both in Gabimaru's and Sigiri's way, like once they find what they were looking for without the power system gives them access to said power system, which is super cool. And once they kind of, they find it in their own ways, finding a mind that is both calm and stormy, like in, in the, they hit that middle in their own way. So we have a, we have an interesting power system and it seems to have uh, a lot of risk involved here that, the more that you do use Tao as a mortal individual, no matter how powerful that you are, we see it with Gabi Maru as beefy as he is, it will it's literally burning your life essence to be more powerful in this moment. So people that use it and have never used it before and not trained in it literally will just start bleeding out and collapsing if they use it too much or 
there are other characters in it, like Asa, who is like the <laughs> that big fuck off bruiser who is just like my power is the ability to adapt and always change that guy. Um, he uh, he finds his way to it because he was actually infected by the vines, by the plants that would put you in that eternal bliss, but escaped it. So he actually got a taste of it within himself. But we find as he uses Tao more, he's being slowly infected more and turning more into like, they're not really demons in this show, right? Like the kind of lesser beings. They're not like, they're not like demons. <laughs> yeah, but I kind just, of view them as like between um, human and something else. They're like spirits, like manifestation of spirits almost. Um, I, I, but no, spirits make them seem benevolent, but they're not quite that. They aren't spirits because they talked about them being essentially experiments for the Tengen. That's right. So yes. I really think it's just like sort of a transubstantiation of their Good form. use of that word. Let's Thank go. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really what it is, right? That, that the usage of this power uh, for the unenlightened, for the, uh, the mortal, will inevitably ruin you in some way, be it your own death or just this transubstantiation into something that is not quite human, but definitely uh, not quite godlike. It's some kind of, you know, in-between creature of sorts. Uh, and we see a lot of those creatures. And yeah. It's really... The, some of the creature designs in this show is fucking great incredible dude. incredibly de- incredibly creative incredibly scary at times like, i would say visually that this is definitely the most stunning show of last season absolutely oh, easy easy the the creative direction both in the mangaka originally and the way that mappa like adapted it <laughs> absolutely well, chef's like, kiss even, cherry even directly up against what i would say is its closest contemporary which would be heavenly delusion mm-hmm I think this shits on it as far as like character design. Um, it does give me like, you know, I guess <laughs> I'm a little biased. It gives me kind of bleach vibes with kind of the, the Simon all kind of look like captains a little bit. They do. I think that's definitely the Edo period samurai is kind of the inspiration for both of these uh, sets of characters for sure. Right. So like from that perspective, I'm deaf on uh, one side heavily already. I got you. But I got all the you. monsters are relative, I think, t- between yes. the two series. But I just love the color scheme of this. It's like, like if you gave Hollow a good paint job. Like the some of the Hollows definitely have energy like this in Bleach. That of some of those like low level creatures definitely have Hollow energy, but just like a much better paint job. There's that, but it's all. It just feels like sort of a filter over the whole world in this land. It's Technicolor as fuck, but it's just like a <laughs> kind of like a little pop, a little brightening. Yeah, like the way that they like. Like I said, the backdrops are just like just bursting with color, but it doesn't feel unintentional, right? It feels very all the fauna, all the flora is very intentional, and it's so cool to see a to see a backdrop and to see like backgrounds that are so intentional like that. And it's it's map at work. It's map is good shit right there for sure. Yeah. So I want to say a couple of things. I, I'm really I love that they weren't afraid to just kill off like massive amounts of characters quickly. Oh, they yeah, they th- that's always been your vibe. And this show definitely delivers on that for sure. I mean, like, I, I don't res- I don't necessarily want them to just like make us invest all of our time into a character and kill it off. For instance, I just listened to a book where we spent the entire book one 
investing in like three characters in addition to our main character. Yeah. And they killed two of them off right at the end of the book. And it's like, Ooh. that was literally the whole progress of the book was related to those three characters and you just killed them off. <laughs> it's, just, it's like a little dumb to do stuff like that. Like, I um, think this, th- but this show found a good, are you saying it found a good medium there where it's like, well, cause everyone's in the main cast, so to speak, like all the bad guys and all the Asamon. Cause yeah. there's really like not too many people to keep track of. Yeah, there's like five at most at any given time, but the, uh, but yeah. like we knew there is like inherent uh, conflict between each of the pairings. Yeah, yeah. And so it was almost certain that some of them would kill each other immediately. And then they also pitted them all against each other initially, right? Yeah, right, Shogun right, right. saying, only one of you is going to get out of here alive. Yes. So we knew there was going to be death, which I think is good. Like, like prefacing that and then like letting them just go fucking buck wild really helps. But then also being able to take that premise and turn it on its head by saying, okay, now we're going to work together because we know how freaking dangerous this place is. Right. Is right. also another really good way of, I think, building kind of the bonds of like a group. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like where we go. Um, my one critique is, and you mentioned it a little bit, they're just bleeding so much. Like, it's too much blood. There's a lot of fucking blood. <laughs> and not that I'm, like, worried about the gore or anything. It's just, like, it's so much blood that there's just... Even superhumans would die. They're, they're, I'm telling you, if Superman bled as much as these guys bleed, he'd be dead. They're being squeezed. They're being squeezed out like lemons. They're just, like, absolutely just, like, hemorrhaging. And it's it's very, like... You almost that's if there was a single black box to have, it isn't the religious craziness. It isn't, like the motifs or themes of like like random lores being melded together here it's the blood it's the blood these people are surviving things they shouldn't like actual like terminal velocity falls that should kill everybody but they're not and all the blood loss should kill them but they're not yeah i mean i, I think it's like a it's a f- easy way to be like okay they're superhuman so they can survive a lot of things and i'm willing to agree with that as far as like oh all their bones didn't collapse when they got launched across the yes. forest and has hit a big tree right but like they are like obviously gushing blood non-stop and gabi maru never ate the entire season that's a very random thing for you to notice well he intentionally did it and i actually thought there was going to be a little bit of a play there where if you eat from this island you would be infected because that's oh, a, that's a really common trope, I think, in science fiction, um, fantasy kind of stuff. If you like partake of a different world's like food sources, like you, we don't know what effect that have on your body. No, like it guaranteed will fuck you. Typically. Guaranteed fuck you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like um, I think there's also a Greek myth related to it as well. If you ate a, fr- a fruit of the underworld, you could never leave it, kind of thing. Ah, yeah, and that, that's a common trope in a lot of like mythoses where you eat of the fruit of blank that and something right. be- so will happen to I you. Was, yeah. I was assuming he was just like big braining everyone. Oh, you thought he like, okay, okay. And, and when they were all like sitting down to eat, I thought he was going to slap it out of Sagiri's hand. Ah. But that didn't happen. So I was like, okay, maybe they're just like going a little higher brow than I was expecting. And then it really never became a thing. But That's a fair point. I was really hoping that would be like kind of an aspect where where um, Yuzu Rihara, her name's crazy. Yuzu Rihara, Yuzu Riha, I think is her name. Yeah, Yuzu Riha. Yeah, um, absolute baddie, by the way. Incredibly hot. Yeah, yeah. But I thought she was gonna be like so aggressively into the food. 
she was gonna be like, why aren't you eating? And he was just gonna be like, we don't know what the fuck this yeah, does. What the hell are you doing? Gonna do to us? Yeah. Um, especially because like early on when they get to the island, like a butterfly lands on someone's hand and their whole hand fucking implodes. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I would not trust it personally. Right. And he's like, um, they're like sitting down to eat with a fucking tree man. And he's like, yeah, but she eats the food and he knows there's something up with May. Right. Uh, right there's right. like this little girl that has this like, she was using towel before they even knew what towel was. She had the gift. Yeah. All right. And so he knew something was fucked up with her physiology. If I'm him, I'm like, I'm not eating because of that reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it seems not smart. The other thing I could, I thought they might've been doing is like, if you do eat from this place, you get like trace amounts of towel builds up in your body and then you'll be able to use it. Now that does have in the lore we see on screen that would have precedence. That would have precedence because well, we I saw thought. with Azza, like when he got it, like the vines kind of like slightly injected in him because he was like kind of starting to get well, like eaten by flowers. Like he, his ability to use Tao like skyrocketed in that moment. Yeah, I also think his um, use was a little wasted as well because while the vines was an interesting way of like injecting him with Tao, he was also eating all these creatures that utilized how he was literally eating some of the low he was level drinking demons. their fucking blood but to your point right that that, that would be a good way to be right. like oh there he's getting tau right so if you were to eat from this place you could potentially be endowed with tau right endowed with the tau baby yeah <laughs> he's down with the town and down with the town so a couple two of the things with like some of the other characters in the show um i like the way that they do approach the concept or the conversation of immortality kind of what we opened with facetiously but the tamia the blade demon or the blade dragon i think his actual name was um he uh was the swordsman who was built like a brick shit house and he was the guy who had a better butterfly land on his hand and bite him and he chopped his hand off because he realized he was about to be covered in flowers very smart yes which i like this guy is a fucking badass he's uh gregarious he is gratuitous he is just bombastic as fuck but he actually has a very interesting take on, he's like, I'm not fucking here for the elixir of life. Are you kidding me? I don't want to actually be physically immortal. I want my name to live on forever in eternity. He has a, he has talked about like immortality has different flavors. The memory of you could be immortal while you necessarily don't have to be. And I find that his entry, it could be interesting, like refreshing to, like an absolute counter to the shogunate because they're trying to find physical immortality incarnate where he is trying to be so fucking legendary as a swordsman that his name will never die not him but his name and i love him as a character for that he is the actual antidote to this whole mission that well, he's just like i don't give a fuck about the elixir i want to be a mo- i want my name to be like remembered right. forever there's certainly yeah. the downsides to that i mean adolf schittler will never be forgotten about but that, i was gonna say like the, the in, infamy and and fame notoriety are, and notoriety yes notoriety <laughs> can take any hue through history right you can remember. so it is definitely something that i noticed he didn't have a He's a legendary swordsman in his mind, but he didn't say really one way or the other whether he was good or bad guy. But to him, I think he didn't even care. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is he like, didn't give a he fuck. He very clearly yeah. just wanted to span time, which I've never heard of him, so I guess he didn't make it. <laughs> I guess he didn't fucking make it. I think the other part 
the other uh, the theme in this show is very interesting too is that like the tau as a power system you brought up may right this show we i will say as a warning if you made it this far in the episode clearly you either watched it or were really interested in watching it this the show isn't afraid to get into maybe a little bit of some not darker themes but heavier themes like the tengen you'll find from their initial on-screen kind of like debut onward they have this ability that seems to be pertinent where they seemingly switch genders on the fly. They literally go from female, male, female, male. And we learn later that their practice in bettering or bolstering their own Tau because of the nature of balance is that like human beings, mortal beings can exist with Tau and strengthen their Tau through a literal intercourse, sexual intercourse, because the the idea of yin yang, strong, weak, and one side and the other side coming in perfect harmony, that is a bit of a joke. But at the same time, like it's it, it, like, well, so this is actually a concept of um like Eastern cultivation, right? That's what I was get, like, getting to. Like that that is an element of well, outside of the show, it is a thing that they believed right would cause a growth in power of both people both parties because like you are practitioners essentially congressing yes good use of congressing like <laughs> that's it what they said that's what it is <laughs> yeah, that's what they say so like coming together in that way come, you, together, like, come together right now on top of me oh no oh yes so like literally <laughs> when when the two parties come together two halves becoming a whole is literally the embodiment of balance and taoism <sighs> So they strengthen and bolster both their sides. So these Tengen literally have the ability to switch roles, so to speak. They they are literally in the in the most blatant sense gender fluid because they literally switch back and forth and they do it in combat to embody certain elements of Tao. So we find later that there uh, there's some very not so savory practices to bolster that strength among the practitioners on this island and it it's there's some nsfw shit where there's some really really not safe for work shit <laughs> doing in this some show. bad stuff um and it's like the darker side of achieving balance forced balance if you will i would say it's alluded to it is not shown obviously. it is not shown it is not shown at all but it is definitely not even alluded to they straight up say it like well that but they also like sort of in the corner are banging in one scene Oh yes, yes, yes. You know there, there's, I mean? it's, it's, but it's, it's tasteful. Like the on-screen visuals, <laughs> uh, the yeah. visuals, the visuals are tasteful. We don't, no nips. We don't get any nips. Weird. I thought that was weird as shit. It's, well, why, well, I guess that's fair. They, they they don't really reproduce all that much. So I mean, if they did, there wouldn't just be seven of them. I know. Just like <laughs> it's an off-putting visual. I think. Yes. Like you, a human being without nipples looks weird. Completely nipless. Kyle XY shit. That's some deep <laughs> exactly cut. Exactly like Okay, that. good. I'm glad you understood that <laughs> Except reference. Except that's only a belly button. Right, but you, you if you know, you know. Kind of that you kind do. of energy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's it's very interesting that the way that they, uh, this show kind of discusses balance and immortality. They don't just hit surface level. They don't just use these mythoses and these belief systems as a coat of paint. They really go deep on it to build these power systems and these characters that are embodiments of these myths from their time, which I think both ground weirdly ground the show and add an air of mystery because they because myth as a concept is 
human beings try to explain the unexplainable. It's our way of doing so. That's why we have the Roman mythos, why we have Greek gods and Roman gods and Nordic gods. These things were uh, generationally passed down to explain, you know, what they perceive to be supernatural phenomena, or at least just explain things that we know now are natural. So there's an air of mystery in myth. So by using myth in the right way, you could invite that sense of mystery by then answering it in your own narrative, which I think this show does extremely well, right? Everything that was unknown to the Shogunate or unknown was finally known by these group of criminals and executioners when they went there and they are strong enough to actually seek and find the truth. And the truth is a bit uglier than they expected, but they have the strength to, at least from what we understand, overcome it all the same. So I don't know. At the end of the day, God, this, this show just like it has a lot of heart. It has a lot of depth. And in terms of like visual aspect, one of, if not the strongest of the summer 2023 season, like you will not have a bad time at all. Map will put their a game somehow into this as well as doing other shit. Cause I know they're I doing mean, definitely on- visually the best. Yes. Visually the best. I think the OP sucked. OP was not great. ED yep. was good. Uh, I don't know if I, I have to go back and listen to the ED. It was, it was like a more upbeat, almost jazzy. Oh, sick. Okay. Maybe I didn't listen to a lot of that, but okay. um, OP, OP was mid. I You're thought right. horrible. Yeah. And then um, I will say there was a few like scenarios where you got too many flashbacks. I felt um, right. I, I know they used them to try to build up kind of relationship that gets cut short, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they tried to give you that quick little injection of impact. But considering it was like a side side character, I don't know that that was really a good use of their time. Are you talking about the uh, chubby Asuman? Or are you talking about well, Gavimaru's? or the yellow-haired guy. Oh, yeah. Yellow yeah. Asuman. Um, I liked him, though. I liked him, but yeah. it was unnecessary because he had such a small portion of the show like responsible for him. But like obviously, Chion, his master, is going to be a big player moving forward that dude's a fucking badass absolute thug lord <laughs> he's insane so, like, I he's get blind it. by the way he literally has been using Tao he's daredevil he's daredevil samurai he's been he's been using so Tao. there is a daredevil samurai that is what that is his name is Z something oh the white haired Zenichi is that the white haired guy it's a Japanese blind samurai oh you're talking about real life yeah fuck me I didn't realize that oh no 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 not real life a oh. character that they Okay, there's a character in this that talk. Okay. No, 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 not in this. Okay. A different. It's basically their version of Daredevil. Gotcha. Okay, their version of Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Sick. Okay, sick. Like, sick, have sick. you ever, you never played Mortal Kombat 11? Uh, rarely. <laughs> rarely have I ever played Mortal Kombat. He's in there occasionally. Gotcha. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So much myth, so much lore that I got to catch up on. But the, uh, I, I hear you on the flashback stuff, and we we the thing is though, like, well, I just like I wanted progress toward the middle. I wanted progress toward elixir of life, and then as they drop like an absolute nuclear bomb on our face by the end of the season, I want to get that moving. We're at the end. Before we give our scores, I want to hear your thoughts. Is Gabby Morrow's wife real? No. No, that's where I'm. Th- yeah, that's where I'm thinking. I think the leader for whatever we don't know necessarily the mean or the the ends for these means, right? Why would he fabricate a loved one 
for uh, a guy who has been trained to be emotionless. My only thought, like I said off Mike prior, was that it's him experimenting with the idea of that. Could you make a better soldier? Could you make a more effective individual, a better ninja if they have something, quote unquote, to come back to? And if you don't have to have something like that and or they don't have something like that, could you fabricate it? Yeah, my assumption would be the only reason that that would work potentially. And it's talked about so, so much by the end of the show. Yeah. It's like relaxing when you can relax and not being so high strung all the time. Um, And then also they talk about the weak and strong. And evidently this ninja arts that he's using somehow is tapping into some Tao stuff. So it's possible like you just wouldn't be good at ninja arts if you're always strong. Right. Yeah, and we find strong, that... Strong, stronger, weak, weaker. Strong, strong, weak, weak, baby. <laughs> then we find out with Yuzuria, like, she's from another, like, she's a Kinochi from, like, another Shinobi village, where, like, her technique of, like, being able to secrete whatever she drinks through her skin and then control it very well, she uses almost, like, a water-style jutsu of sorts to, to like, control, like, viscous fluids. But... <laughs> Slobber jutsu. It's basically a slobber jutsu, right? It's a sweat no jutsu. And uh it's been it's been said in the show by the Tengen, like, oh, this is like a very rudimentary basic application of Tao though, but it's it's like it's there though. So we we know that there is some precedence for sure. There is precedence for this. So I think maybe the theory could be that the the leader of this village is trying to experiment with the mental state of his uh soldiers, of his cogs, so to speak. To maybe build one that could... Which, tale as old as time, really. It kind of is a tale as old as time, um, right? You're a cog in that motherfucking machine, I mean, baby. they gave meth to soldiers in World War II. I mean... And look how that turned out. We're here. I don't know what that means. Well, but Germany we're... gave them meth, too, so <laughs> it was really kind of up in the air there. It was a meth-on-meth kind of battle. Yeah, we're not really sure which side had better meth. If um, you're going to war, do meth. Wow, is the, is I the tale, do not at all. <laughs> is the tale that of World War II. I wouldn't advocate for that now. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> but that is the tale of World War II. You're going to war, complimentary meth. You just get that for you. So, okay, scores. We do have to do it. I think I might give it an 87 out of 100. I know that's quite high, but I think it really deserves it. I, I was enamored by the world that they built, the way that they use myth as not just a paint job, but kind of an overarching, like real backbone to this kind of story. And it permeated every element from the characters, from the backstory, from the char- like the monster designs to the villains. Like all of it had this beautiful flavor of myth. And that's really... That that's my alley. That's my shit. So I'll stand by my eighty-seven. I love it. Okay. Um. So quickly, I want to say I think that she's not real because yeah, it leaves space for Sagiri and him to get together later. Oh. Which it really seems like Sagiri's into him. So oh, like, oh, she in, and she a baddie in her own right too. Right. Like, so not, I think yeah. that potentially she's gonna realize that she doesn't actually want to be a samurai. That was just like her idea of what she wanted to do. Like basically, basically play in the men's world or whatever. And it's it's funny because she sees him in his husband mode at times of how much he gives a shit about a wife that could potentially not exist. So it's almost like seeing what the, a, a guy would be like as a hubby, but not have a wifey attached to him, which is interesting. And then she'd be down for it, you know? Right. Like potentially. We're still yeah. not really sure. We don't know. But um, it's there. 
though I think if if he does not have a wife, it is going to be a really hard pill to swallow at some point. <laughs> like I just think that's going to be a very difficult narrative to like have work. Yeah, like, cause, like, how would Sigiri? How would she come around? Like, oh, sucks that your wife's not alive, right. or even real. Uh, what are you doing later? Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> it's just, it, I think it's going to be tricky narratively. Right. We'll now, see how it plays. As far as this season goes, I think the middle was a little slow for me. Okay. Uh, basically pre Tau. <laughs> oh, this is a pre tower for sure. Right. Yeah. And then, um, I would say overall, I will give it an 82 and I'll honestly base it similarly as you did on just like the absurdly stunning visuals. Yeah. The fun battle royales. Battle and, and I really Royale. think the idea of pairing like criminal with quote unquote good guys who are pretty fucked up is right. kind they're of not, fun. They're not even good guys. They're just enforcers. Right. Right. They're just they're like, on the right side of history though. Uh, yes. Uh, at least this history. Currently. So to speak. <laughs> but you know what? Thank you guys for coming to this episode, this class, this lecture. If you would like to talk about uh, Hell is Paradise in our Discord. You can go patreon.com slash shibology, one dollar and up, get you into that Discord with all of our past guests and the lovely Patreon folk that are in there currently. If you liked a little bit uh, more content, three dollars and up, get you the syllabus sidebar, our lo fi high vibes, sometimes anime, sometimes not, mostly on hiatus, and we're not even lying about it anymore, and sometimes visual show where we talk about life and things that do not fit into this curriculum bucket. And I'm turning over a new leaf, guys. I'm not mad at you anymore. I, I understand. you got a lot of shows that you are binging right now, anime or not, podcasts or not, but you're already on a platform. You're already here. Two clicks over and down. Over 215 hours of anime content for your perusing. Pick ones that you've watched or want to watch or just binge the whole thing. I'm not your dad. I haven't been your dad. I'll never be your dad. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry if that's, that, that sounds bad, but I'll, I'll never be your dad. That's just how it is. But if you would like to uh, contact us anywhere, uh, you get your podcast fix. It's in the description below. Like, comment, subscribe, and you do those things. And webology.com. You can go and pick up some sick-ass merch designed by yours truly or the content tree to get anything you want webology uh, in any flavor. Just all the flavors of webology, whatever you want. But I think that is it for the plugs. I'm going to late-night edit. Burn that midnight oil, baby. Go hit a 10k. You're gonna go hit a 10k right now. Uh huh. Holy shit! But until I am a little less lazy and Ethan's a little more active, I'm Ricky and I'm Ethan. And this is Weebology. Uh, deuces. deuces. Are you really doing a fucking 10k yeah. right now? What the fuck, dude? It's so late. I know. <laughs> it got away from me today. <laughs> <laughs>